what is good my loves what is good divine dolls divine dudes okay so um i'm pretty sure i'm gonna title this i'm not like other black people or or I represent all black people, right? So gonna keep this one kind of short, sweet, and to the point. Uh haven't been on for the past couple of days. It just is what it is, but I'm gonna try to knock this one out. Um, so let's go. Now this one I want to give credit to. I was watching Cerebral the other night and she has been killing it. Okay, but um in that uh one of the, the episodes I was watching with her she brought up, um, mm, I don't remember if it was Booker T. Washington or, um, I'm getting messages. Let me see. Booker T. Washington or W.E. Dubois. Dubois? <laughs> um, but they were kind of talking about the one-tenth rule, um, and... My mind has been in overdrive, but I love it because basically what that person was saying is that only one-tenth of us would need to be on our A-game in order to change the trajectory of how our community is is progressing along. Now, another interesting person that I learned about from both um, Simply Said and Cerebral, I think her name was Nanny Burrow, if I'm not mistaken. When you talk about foresight, I've said this before, one thing that women have or um, a high vibration or high frequency. Okay. Um, uh, woman is that she has foresight, right? Um, I think that it's foresight is something that men tend to struggle with, but again, I think it's it comes more naturally to women, but not all women have it. Um, and I think men do struggle with this, but if they, you know, there's that few. So speaking of which, I think that this number, the one tenth, is very very important because one of my pet peeves, um, when I especially with the conversations of what's going on in the black community in terms of uh, you know what what is the role of the man is he a provider um the 50 billion dollar a year deficit the incarceration rates um are they a royal sons or royal kings you know the illiteracy rates and toxic masculinity the whole gamut you know you'll have and, and all the rage right now that's going on is you know these gender wars But what you will hear is you'll hear um, a case in point, right? And I'm not even going to go too much into the Fox Soul um, debate that happened. It's interesting to watch both parties at this point kind of just give their their points. But I think that one of the things that was interesting is the egg-headed shape, egg-head shaped guy, (laughs) Um, I think his name was Antoine. Uh, <laughs> calm down. Um, he kept saying stuff like, well, I'm a provider. I wrote a book. I employ people. I'm, a, I'm married. I have kids. And I'm like, this is, this is not about you. It's about the collective. We're here talking about 
the majority of people, right? So if everyone was like you, we would not have a $50 billion deficit. If everyone was like you, we wouldn't have five, you know, a woman and children um, being killed every five hours. If everyone was like you, our marriage rates would be higher. If everyone was like you, the literacy rates would be up, right? But it, you're an exception to the rule. And so you have um, <clears throat> these type of people that will say, well, I represent the, the, the collective, right? Now, keeping in mind, we're talking about the one-tenth ratio. So he's saying that for every 10 people, he represents his one himself being the one person represents the other 10 men, right? So that means that uh, if you multiply that towards 100, he represents 100% of black men, right? So he's majoring in the minors, right? So, but the reality is he only represents one-tenth. I can even give you the one-tenth rule, right? Um, I think that it's more reasonable to say that 10 out of 100 men are somewhat, you know, competent and are trying their best or trying to, you know, make a difference or make an impact, but it's not 100%. And so what grinds my gears is you have the one person, you know, you hear this a lot with men say like, well, I'm this, I'm that, I'm this, that, and the third. You do not represent the whole collective. And I think that another interesting thing too is, I think that if more of us strive to be that one out of 10, I think that right now there's a lot of backlash. I've even said things like, uh, um, but it is, it just is what it is. I think that more divine, quote unquote, divine people or people who identify as divine feminine, divine masculine could fall into that category, right? Where you feel like you're set apart, where you understand that you are different, where you understand that you are unique. Now, I'm using the word you understand that you are unique, right? Because a lot of us go through life. I, I've talked a little bit about this. Like growing up, you know, I'm that tall girl. I'm that black girl. You know, the dynamics are different with how I was raised too. Even though we, I went to the same church, my parents were super conservative. They were very strict, right? I wasn't allowed to have sleepovers or like wear makeup and shave and you know, I had to wear like long dresses and stuff like that. And we weren't allowed to watch TV. Now, that being said, hindsight, it's, you know, I'm glad that they did. But both of my parents are teachers. And, um, you know, for as much as I want to complain, you know, still a little bit juvenile, but, but I am even more appreciative as an adult. Because with that, I, I, I've talked about this before, and then I'll get back to the topic. But it was things like my mom was very hands-on. So she would teach us about like the bees. We would have the morning devotional. We would learn about the bees. And then we would go to the grocery store and she would get us a honeycomb. And she would like split it up for us and let us taste it. Or if we were, you know, learning about the cows, we'd go get some like fresh dairy um, ice cream. This is back in the days like you could go and you can watch them churn it and make it homemade ice cream, just like very hands-on, you know, I won't be able to go into all of the details, but, you know, it's things like saying, well, I'm not like other black girls, I'm not like other black people, and I think that sometimes it can grind other people's gears, or they can feel like, oh, well, you're a coon, you think that you're separate or different or whatever, so I think that there's, you know, there can be some, um, 
uh, a healthy balancing of the discord. Now, there are some people that are, you know, just really, I can't even think of his name. Like, I can just see his head. He's eggheaded too. It's kind of funny. But um, I do not know this guy's name because I blocked him, of course, months ago. It's been probably over a year. But, um, you know, just outright being... I think toxic, right? I think that there's a healthy side to that, which is if we strive to be that one to uh, one out of 10, that is the exception, not only will it help our black community, but also I think it's good for us too, right? Um, I think that it helps us to compete. Now, one of the, the conversations that I haven't been able to really talk about, but has been on my mind it does concern me. I saw some uh, a young lady talking about how competing is um, trying to impress white people. I was like, whoa. And now, mind you, she said this while she was in a ratted, tattered tent, right? Here on Kempt. She didn't look like she had groomed herself. And her whole thing was like, oh, we're just trying to compete and impress white people. I have to formulate a conversation surrounding that, but that is very disappointing to hear. And I think especially from young people. Um, And it's really interesting to me how a lot of the things that are supposed to be positive for us are misconstrued into negativity and or toxicity. Like seriously, it's, it makes me want to wonder We are copying off of people who have a fourth grade literacy and comprehension level. And that is concerning because I and I'm respectfully right. Girls, for the most part, tend to excel in academia for the most part. Right. We're talking about the one tenth rule. So it's not going to be, you know, every single one. We obviously have some even in the black community, black women that are just toxic. Right. Um don't don't understand motherhood or selective partnering or you know um trying to excel and be self-sufficient but um with that being said it's it there's stats out there that show that women tend to excel in academia and it's like the dumbest thing like why would we cut and paste off of <laughs> so I hope I drove home the point. What is the point? I think that, you know, if you identify as a divine feminine, divine masculine, own that, right? I think that even for me moving forward, I'm comfortable with using that language and educating people and saying like, I'm striving to be that one out of 10 that excels in, you know, my finances, in my health, in my relationships, right? And that's what we need in order for the community to excel because now I pour that into my into my niece and my godkids, right? I focus on what's happening in my atmosphere and changing my godkids' life and my, my niece's life, that is enough to change six and seven families, right? Because that impact is enough to to spill over into now those homes are going to run and function, you know, the best that they can. Right. And so if each one of you, I'm telling you, our numbers are growing. I 
kind of have shied away from looking at the analytics, but um, sometimes my app will refresh and we have grown a lot. <laughs> so, um, but I'm just keeping my style the same for the most part, kind of chit chat style. I do talk about, you know, different things and how I react to things. Hey, I consider myself to be <laughs> divine feminine, although sometimes I do have a bad side, right? And I do have a shadow side. And I do engage with some of the content a little bit differently, but it is what it is. So, but with that being said, if each one of you under the sound of my voice all around the world, whether you identify as, you know, divine feminine or divine masculine, um, I know I have non, you know, non-melanated people too. And I want to talk a little bit about that too, because I think that even, um, who was it that I was listening to? But it's just kind of like a balancing because I think that when I think back to even conversations about how we were conditioned um, to interact with people that want to, uh, who, who, who do want to help us, I think it comes down to, we could probably... Don't come for me, right? We, I, and this I'm just making up on the spot, right? But you probably have that one-tenth percentage also of good white people who try to help you. Those are the people that, you know, in some instances when I got hired, most of the people I got hired were white people. Um, one was a black guy, was a black male, and he was he was actually a good boss surprisingly um but i've had other you know but let's not focus on that but then um but and so with that being said you know um had my fair share of good and bad white bosses type of a thing um and i really did have bosses too that went to bat for me and they made sure i got my raises and my promotions and and made sure i had a good working environment right and then when they retired i would have New bosses come in and some, you know, were a little bit difficult. I even had like interim, like when my bosses would go on vacation for three months and I had interim supervisors, they were straight up racist, straight up, like just try to make life miserable. Some of the co-workers I had were straight up, you know, and this was at a Christian institution. So it just is what it is. But that being said, you know, um, starting to learn that, you know, not to brush everyone with the with the same broad stroke, right? So one out of 10 white people are going to be, you know, empathetic to what it's like to be, a, a you know, part of the black community. They're going to be empathetic to what, you know, um, understanding that racism does take place. And like I said, there's, there's a couple of women that I met recently and they're like, well, what do you mean you're going to charge her more interest? That's not fair. Like they'll just go off. Like, you know, type of a thing. (laughs) It's like, whoa, calm down type of a thing. Right. Um, even when I think about, um, the, the people that I grew up with in high school, I went to a predominant, I mean, high school, elementary school, going into high school were predominantly white, right? My first girlfriend was white. Um, the first guy friend that I had first grade was a Hispanic guy, right? Um, and then um, I say all that to say that even when I've reconnected with, with my friends from high school on Facebook, they're still sweet people. They're still kind people, you know? Um, 
And and it falls into that category where we do get along and they're respectful and and they treat me well. So I think there's kind of like an alkalining, alkaline, alkalization of what's happening with the black community. I like to think of the black community as a body, right? So you have the brain, the eyes, the mouthpiece, you have you know, the organs, I like to consider myself part of the digestive system. I take apart, you know, I simulate. I take what they're feeding us. I take the good and the bad, you know. So if it could be comfort food, the comfort food can be like, oh, we're kings and kings and queens and we're royalty and all this type of stuff, you know, but it's not necessarily the healthiest when you think about comfort food, like have, you know, triple cheese, mac and cheese, baked mac and cheese, you know what I'm saying, or or that type of thing. And then you have, it could be things like the collard greens, right? Collard greens are good for you. They taste good. I love mm, collard greens. I do, I do, I do. But um, that one's a little bit more healthier, right? Adds nutrients to the body, helps you with your iron, right? And so um, I'm talking about like, that would be the conscious between things that feel comfortable and they're gooey and warm, but they're not health, they're not good for us. And I think that the mindset of us saying, oh, um, one good person, you know, what will happen is we'll say, well, I have a healthy family. I have um, a husband. I have a good dad. I have a good, I have a good son. So then therefore, I represent all 10 people. No, that's like me saying, well, I have 4C here. So therefore, all black women have 4C here. No, that's not how it works. Right. I represent a certain type of um, black woman that has that type of hair. Right. Um, same thing, too, when you can say, well, I'm a tall girl. So then therefore all, t- all girls are tall. So then therefore all of us must mo- must wear flat shoes and, you know, these types of dresses. No, you know, and I think it's interesting because coming from an orthodox religion, it's like we want to prescribe the same thing to everybody, you know, and so here it was, you have this religion that's for predominantly for white people. Listen, if I were white, I would stay a Christian, I really would, because everything's in my favor. But it took me growing up, you know, with, like I said, white people, and then realizing I had no business being dressed up as a pilgrim. Like, why the hell would I be dressed up like a, you know, like a pilgrim? In celebrating Thanksgiving with my whole entire black ass, like it doesn't make sense. Um, and things like even worshiping like Cesar Borgia, and or it's even things like when people say they pray, and I'm looking at it and I'm saying, like, okay, you're praying, you're a black person, you're praying, you know, for for oppression from white people. Who do you think God is gonna answer? Do you think He's gonna answer white people or black people? Because the Bible is probably gonna tell you it's gonna favor white people. Like, just I don't know, but that's not what that's about. So, I hope that the title alone kind of helps us to think a little bit differently. I think that most of the things I had to say were at the beginning of the podcast. So let me learn to, you know, it's kind of like writing a, a an essay got the intro you got the body and in conclusion so i'm getting better at at making sure that i'm closing out the points that i want you to take away from this which is you know let's let's start to to really 
um, learn how to compartmentalize and analyze what it is that we're saying. Because when you have people that will come on like um, Umar and say, well, well, I have a PhD. Well, um, I did it. Let me, you know, um, now, mind you, let me let me. I said, oh, I'm just going to leave him alone. Right. So if he says he's a doctor, well, there's he's like one out of ten. Right. Um, you have the Antoine guy. Well, I'm married. I have kids. I'm happily married. I wrote a book. I'm employing people. Again, you're one out of 10. Right. But let's not ignore that the nine other people are suffering with literacy, employment, health, right, with relationships. Right. So um, but with that being said, as I'm closing out, I just want to encourage you, you know, Anybody under the sound of my voice, I want to believe really does want to become a better version of themselves. You understand that you are set apart, that you are different. All of us are different, right? That's what makes us the same. But um, but I think we're getting a better grasp of the assignment, right? And I'm going to just listen a little bit to the conversations. I know it's interesting, like when I listen to some content creators, I will hear a different perspective that I tend to not agree with, but it is what it is. But um, yeah, that's the best way I can think of it. It's just I'm going to try to continue to be that one out of 10 percent. And I think it's going to help me when I have conversations with other people, too. Right. Still understanding that we're a long ways from getting to that one tenth, one out of 10 percent. But that is what we need to transform and turn around the community, in my opinion. I think it applied whenever um, W.E. DeBois said it or when, um, or, uh, uh, I forget his name. Or the other gentleman said it. Like, I could see his face right now, but I can't remember right now. Right? I think it applied then, and I think it still applies now. Um... And so, yeah, with that being said, let's just keep it short and sweet and to the point. I think regardless, try to continue to be distinguished, distinguished to be set apart. And it only takes one percent of us. So, you know, to make a difference. So continue to strive to be the best version of you for yourself, for your family and for your community. Until the next podcast. Peace. And one more thing, because we do talk about relationships. I'm going to try to remember to open up the comment question section. Um, But let's just talk a little bit about relationships. So obviously, it's not my area of expertise. I am single, never married, no kids. But um, I do like the idea that um, if I am going into another relationship, it's kind of Distinguishing that that person understands that you're striving to be different than the rest of, you know, black families and or quote unquote black love. Right. I think if I had to play it all over again, I've kind of always been like this, but I've never really articulated it. But it's kind of like. I wanted my family to be kind of like the cream of the crop. You know, I think my parents did the best they could. And I want to extend it and take it to the next level. So for me, it would have meant that I want the most. um, I think that one of the common threads I admired in my exes were that they were, in my opinion, exceptional in terms of their 
um, performance or productivity. Um, and, but obviously, you know, kind of there's the one thing that a couple of them had is that they were, you know, cheaters and or not genuine or disingenuous about where they saw their relationship going, if at all, or, or, you know, um, and I, I, I will take accountability on my part too. I think obviously, you know, you live and you learn and that's where you really come down harder, you know, to make sure that it's like, if we're definitely not striving to be the 1%, you know, married couple where we have a legacy, you know, for our children to pass on, then I don't want any parts of it. Right. Um, and so I'm not looking to get into any regular type of relationship. I think for this point, and I have some time to think about it. It's one of those things where dating to me is kind of a sport. So I will gladly sit on the sidelines and watch like, you know, um, basketball or boxing or MMA or, or that type of thing. And I'll have my box of popcorn and I'll have my commentary on it and, you know, uh, all of that. But I'm definitely on the sidelines and I um, just, just disclaimer, I don't see myself dating for at least another two to three years. I think that's where, what I, you know, there's some inner work and stuff that I want to do and, and accomplish before I, I go that route again. But I think that, um, at that time, you know, as long as I'm still alive, cause my parents put it in my head, it's kind of like, if, if God willing, right. But, um, three years down the road for me, the type of man that I would, uh, entertain a conversation with would have to understand that I'm looking to start a foundation. Now, I did a pre-recording of what it would start, what it would require for you to start a a foundation. And you would need at a minimum $500,000 to start a foundation. And that depends on if you want staff or not. Um, And from there, you're looking at almost like a million dollars worth of of transactions or currency to kind of be along the lines of the foundation right so this is not some cutesy type of thing i did record the um podcast but i didn't upload it because i was legit shocked right i've talked a lot about how i really admire steve harvey and marjorie harvey for their foundation I would want to have, you know, a replica between me and and my companion, something to that to that type of effect and the impact that they have. Right. But it's not um, anything cutesy about it. It's definitely about, you know, um, you're looking at numbers, you're looking at statistics, you're looking at making an impact, you're making looking at making sure that there's influence. It's not just, you know, um, charity and dressing up and a name and clout like there's actually things that go into it and and you decide if you want to have it while you're alive or if it's something that has to go on and so that means you have to have things like a mission statement and you have to have a board and you have to have you know a list of expenditures and return on investment and they have all of these measuring instruments to make sure that it's thriving right so um, that's what I would want to look for. I, like I said, I don't see myself dating it for another three years. Um, that gives me a, a chance to get my game up in terms of financially too. Um, but he would need to be able to at least match that 250 a piece and then at a minimum, and then we'd have to come up with a plan of like, okay, how do we want to impact our community? Now I really like things like, um, 
uh, trading, teaching kids how to trade. Um, I also like the idea of coding, anything that to do with uh, software, engineer software, or even um, funding something along the lines of students who wanted to do like the Google certificate in um, for IT, right? IT certificate or anything that has to do with education on my end. It'd be interesting to hear what my significant other would want as a part of the foundation. I would hope that we have a little bit of a spin that is a little bit different and that combines his strengths and his his interests too. And um and and just leave our imprint, right? That when I'm gone, that's something that my godkids continue my my niece and my godkids can continue to to pass on, right? That will be the name. And every time my niece or my godson or my goddaughter goes up and they, you know, are reaching out for donations and, and doing charitable events, it's my auntie wanted to make a positive impact. And she saw that there was a need for, you know, like, for example, young women to be self-sufficient, to be self-independent, to learn trading as a skill, um, and, and it's even things like, I, I would kind of slip this in here too, and I haven't had a chance to talk about it, but one of my favorites, y'all, is Serena Williams. And I have to watch the time on this because I think I'm already at the 20 minute mark on the first segment of this. But Serena Williams had her own kind of like trading company. Um, I probably need to circle back and look into it and, and play the audio for you. But I'm super impressed with how she's doing things, how she's how how that's going and she talked a little bit about how you know she does consult a little bit with her her husband um Onassis in terms of the you know trading and the bitcoin and that type of thing so I'm super excited for her but I would love to see you know how do I equip more young women to be able to do trading in fact a couple of the, the things that I used to in trade uh to invest in right now um, it's with Pam accounts and they have teams of traders that are with these LLCs that they go in and they they trade for us. Right. And each one of them have different areas of expertise. And, you know, it kind of just averages out, but it's a skill set that they had to learn. Right. And here they are. They're doing that well. And it would be nice, you know, to either replicate that type of a platform and or you know, be able to do it for yourself. I've also mentioned one of my mentors, she starts training children early. I would love to give scholarships for, you know, um, the kids I used to babysit, like their kids to be able to take those courses. They're expensive. They're like um, upwards of $4,000. Like for the first four weeks, it's like 4000 and there's four sessions. So my dad did the full um, 12 weeks. So he's like Wolf of Wall Street type of thing. Um and definitely worth it. Uh, I know one of the other classes he want to take was like a hundred thousand. But, anyways, I still have to say, like, even if if I had to do it again, because I know I have a younger demographic of of people listening to me, and I would say in terms of relationships, I really do honestly like the idea of saying, you know, I'm a, really one in a million. <laughs> type of a girl I think you know and you have to celebrate that but that person has to appreciate that too or the one out of 10 right and I'm looking for someone that's different I don't want any someone that is cut and you know mold from the same 
perspective or outlooks on life like everyone else, right? Um, so yeah, I would be that girl that's like, well, I'm not like these other girls out here. Hell yeah, I'm gonna claim that. Um, but I, I want a guy that, that stands out from the rest too. And I want to make a, you know, contribution. I recognize that it's going to be, you know, uh, one tenth representation in terms of who I am, in terms of who you are and what, how we're going to impact the community. But just wanted to kind of share that too. So that's it. And that's all until the next podcast. Bye. Okay. So obviously this is on my mind. It is past 12 midnight. I am watching The Reacher. Y'all, it's a really good, like a TV series. There's only eight and I'm on, I don't know, I think four or five. But anyways, so um, put it out there, you know, in terms of dating relationship, I would say, oh, I'm different than other girls. There is one caveat, right? Um, Because if you're dealing with a typical nine out of ten, then, you know, you thinking that you're different um, and thinking you're going to get different results from that person, you know, um, can get you in trouble, too. So I do need to kind of flush that out a little bit. But again, I'm not out here purporting to be, you know, relationship expert, but um I like the idea of me being different, the idea of the other person being different. But again, that being said, I know, um, and this has happened to just about, I think, most women in general, but I know um, the last relationship in particular, I remember when, he, when we were talking about his ex, just, just a little bit, I was just thinking, well, I'm not her um, type of a thing, but uh, just bear in mind, I'll have to kind of flush it out a little bit. I probably am not going to come back to this particular podcast, but I invite you to um, stay further down, you know, come back in, in a while and see how I um, how I resolve that. But obviously, it's something that I'm working through in my mind and and figuring out the moving pieces. Um, I still, like I said, like the idea of being different. I think that person has to be self-aware enough to identify themselves as being different. But again, let, let's just see what, what comes up, right? I do believe that, you know, I will get the information I need to kind of fill in the gaps the way I need to. And um, it's an adventure, right? So just enjoy the process, enjoy the journey. I'm I'm a good, like I said, two to three years out from getting into anything serious. Um, and so I have time to think things through like like this. But I do want to say, you know, um, thinking of, of it from that angle, I wouldn't say that it's good for you to say, well, I'm different and expect different results from someone who... Probably is gonna, you know, um, is it, so this is the thing, like, I don't think it's any benefit to you being one out of 10 when that person is nine out of 10, you know, the stereotypical like cheater or, you know, um, poverty mindset or low vibrational or low frequency, right? So let's see where where this takes us. 
I want to finish watching this thing, but I'm halfway through my number four, and I think it has eight, but I'm pretty sure I'm just going to tap out at this point, so... Till the next one, bye.